0: Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the songs that have been sung so well and so beautifully. We ask you Lord to bless our sisters who have stood up to sing those songs and play the music this evening. And we ask you now, Lord, that you would speak again into our hearts and into lives, into situations, into minds. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to your people. And, Lord, that you would turn your people's heart fully onto you who have maybe gone astray. We pray, O oh God, that you would turn the hearts of someone here maybe who has not yet made your son their own Lord and personal Savior. May they know the grace of God and may they experience the Holy Spirit, the conviction the Spirit brings according to the Word. And we pray, O God, that you would draw them to Calvary, to the foot of the old rugged cross. May they repent and be born again. So, Father... Bless us and encourage us tonight. And may your word have free course in this place and among this people. We ask it for Jesus' name'sake sake and for his glory. Amen. The Apostle Paul speaks in verse 7 of him being made a minister of the gospel. Of him being made a minister as an apostle. And he's telling us in verse 7 that everything that he has received from his salvation, and remember, he was a religious man. He was of the junior Sanhedrin. He was of the Jews' religion. He was of the sect of the Pharisees. And so this man knew the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And here he's now realizing that which was spoken of in the Old Testament, pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of the sacrifices of the temple, and everything that it detailed, and everything that entailed in it, we find that Paul would know that it spoke of and pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and His doing and His dying again at Calvary. Paul came to a realization that Paul himself could not merit or attain salvation. Even as a good religious man, Paul realized his religion was not enough. Paul realized his doing was not enough. And Paul realized that even not only his salvation But every good gift that Paul had in his life and every perfect gift in Paul's life as James would write is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Paul not only realizes of the grace of God in the calling of Paul to salvation but in the grace of God in the calling of Paul as an apostle and as a minister of the word of God and as a preacher of that selfsame word. Paul realizes that everything that he has is from heaven. He's undeserving and yet he has received what God has given unto him. In verse 7, He continues, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Notice this, Paul is saying, there's not one thing of mine own strength that placed me in this position. There's not one thing of my own strength that afforded me This condition Paul is saying this evening to you and to me as he's writing to the Ephesian church he's saying everything that I have is according to the gift of the grace of God the word according there is a word kata in the original Greek text it's the word kata. And it gives the idea of a pressure, of a pressing down. Something pressing down to take a dominance over. So what Paul is saying is, with the pressing down of the dominance of the gift of grace, I have received that which I have received, and I am that which I am this evening and my calling is from that which I have been called into. Paul is saying that everything that he is and has has been afforded to him and given unto him freely by God according to the electing grace of God in his life. The word grace is the word charis. If I was to ask all of you here, what is the word grace? What does it mean to you? What does grace mean when we say that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. So if I was to ask each and every one of you, and all of those up here, what is grace and how can you explain it to me? I wonder what you would say. I dare say, some would say, grace is unmerited favour. And that's true, and that's real, and that's right. Some might say, well, grace is when you receive that which you do not deserve. And I would say amen to that, and that would be another rendering for the term or for the word grace, or charis is the Greek word here. But can I give you what an old uh, Greek scholar said, and I have learned it because it has strengthened me, it has helped me, and it has blessed me throughout my walk, when I'm troubled, when I'm weak, when I'm down, when I'm lonely when I'm tried, when I think of grace, I go back to what this man has said and it blesses my heart and it gives me strength for that moment to carry on in that self grace in God. Charis, grace, it is the divine influence upon the heart and It's reflection in one's life. That's what he said, and I have learned it. I'll say it again. Grace is the divine influence upon one's heart and the reflection in one's life. In other words, we are saved by grace. We live in grace. We are kept in grace, and we will see Christ's face because... Of His grace. In our failures, He is our grace. In our weakness, He is our grace. When we need our help and our strength is weak and low, He is our grace. The Lord Jesus Christ, we're told, is full of grace and truth. Notice, full of grace, grace upon grace. That's what John writes. Grace upon grace. It gives the idea of grace perpetually coming to the man and to the woman. Maybe you feel God. Maybe you've said, I can't go on. Maybe there's someone here and you've sinned badly. And you find yourself here tonight to listen to this word. You find yourself here tonight. And God will speak to you. And you've asked him, I need something to give me strength. Friend, I can tell you tonight, your strength will be when you realize the grace of God for you to carry on and to walk with him. But mind you, and please take note, friend, grace is not a license for the Christian to sin. I'll say it again. Grace is not a license for the Christian to sin, but rather grace is an endowment of power for the Christian to walk with him in righteousness. Maybe you're struggling. Grace is the divine influence upon the heart. The sinner who knows not Christ, the man and the woman who are not yet saved, They cannot be saved, nor even can they call upon the name of the Lord in truth without the grace of God, without the divine influence of the Spirit of God speaking to them, awakening them, quickening them, drawing them to the Christ who died for them. Friend, if you by any way And any chance or means tonight, find yourself here. And you're not saved tonight. You can understand then, if you understand this, that God the Holy Ghost is speaking tonight through the Word that grace is a free gift and salvation is a free gift and you must accept it without any merit of your own. People say, I must clean up my life and get right with God. No, friend, you can never clean up your life and get right with God. People say, well, I must get my ducks in a row, as it were, and sort things out first. No, friend, you might try to do all of that, but none of it will merit your salvation to bring you into right standing before God that you might be justified in His sight. How can I be right with God? Someone might say. How can I be justified? Well I can tell you tonight. According to the word of God. You can only be justified. Through the blood of the lamb. You can only be justified. By coming to Calvary's tree. You can only be justified. By repenting. Repenting of your sin. You can only be justified. By claiming. The merit the efficacy and the atoning blood of Christ. That's how you can be justified before God. By surrendering yourself under the blood of Christ and believing that He has paid the fullness of your debt. You must understand that all men in Adam, all women in Adam, are birthed through the birth canal and are made and fashioned in sin, conceived in sin. Your mother and father were sinners, makes you in conception a sinner to your depraved nature, unable to save yourself. And realizing that this wonderful, gracious gift of God is this, That God knew you in this yard tonight. And God brought you to this place tonight. And God had you sit under this word tonight. How blessed you are that you might be known of God. And called by him unto salvation. Friend Paul says all that I have. And all that I am, I have received it by the grace of God and nothing else. And so when we read on, notice what he says in verse 8. Unto me, who am the least of all the saints. Paul was not afraid to humble himself in the sight of God. Paul was not afraid to humble himself to realize that he's no better than any other man. Paul was not afraid to humble himself to realize that he was a sinner before a holy God. He says, I am the least. When I look at myself, I'm nothing in the sight of God. Yet man shakes the fist toward God and spits toward heaven with his vile rebukes and abuse of God and of his Christ. Paul, the Apostle, yielded himself, bent the knee, bowed the head, and gave over the Spirit in repentance. And he said in humility, he said unto me, who am the least of all the saints. Today we're told, follow your heart. That's what we hear everywhere, follow your heart. Friend, can I advise you, don't follow your heart. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Lord says, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins, he says. Follow your heart, people say. Churches are saying it with these lovely beautified messages with no substance of the word of God in them. Follow your heart friend I can tell you your heart will lead you to hell but if you give your heart to Christ he'll take you to heaven he'll take you to glory and Paul humbled his heart and he says unto me he says unto me who am the less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given. I love it. When I think of a man like me, when I think of a man like me who left school without any qualifications, think of a man like me who took the most menial of jobs, one after the other, after the other throughout years. Think of a man like me who started to excel in sport until he started injecting himself with drugs. A man like me who went into the, the ramshackle dens of iniquity and sin and used to stand as a door a doorman on the door. Now think a man like me who became a, an alcoholic and a drug addict. A man like me who wasn't shy from violence, friend. I was blessed in the least of the sins. Oh, I deserved hell. I deserved the lost eternity. But when I think that grace found me, grace came to me in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, heard the glorious gospel of the saving grace of God find in Him alone. And oh, high the Spirit quickened me and drew me on and drew me to Christ And I repented of my sin. And I gave my all to him. Which was nothing. And there he took a vile wretch. There he took a guilty, vile, hell deserving sinner. A man on the broad road to destruction. There he took a man like me. Oh, when I think about it when I think of what the scriptures tell me of who I am, and I didn't know it, and I never realized it, and I thought, well, sure, I'm a good Ulster Protestant. Wasn't even that. Sure, I'm a Presbyterian. Well, my name was on the roll. It was never there. And I thought it was enough. And all the time, the lake of fire was flicking round my hands. The flames were flickering around me. And I knew it not. Till I heard of a Christ who died for me. Was sang it this morning around the Lord's table in church. Guilty, vile and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah! What a saviour! Friend, I can tell you Paul realised all was in the grace of God. He realised he could do nothing but accept Christ for what he hath accomplished, the work he has done and finished, and there alone was his cleansing from his sin and his own redemption in salvation. Notice what he says unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I can tell you I was talking the other day to someone and I mentioned that word unsearchable in a different context. It stuck with me. I was talking to Brother Billy this morning. What are you on tonight? And I said, I haven't a clue. But there's this one word that thrilled my heart. It was thrilling my soul. I says, Billy, there's this one word: unsearchable. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I want to say it because it means so much. I want to say it because it's way past all we know. The unsearchable riches in Christ. I want you to see here, friends, something. The term here, unsearchable, I jotted it down just before I came out tonight. And I looked it up, and it's a big, long word. I'll not even try to pronounce it this evening. This is what it says. You ready? It speaks of that which cannot be traced nor tracked. Sounds familiar today, doesn't it? The track and trace. They're trying to track and trace those with the coronavirus or someone that's had it and you're in their company and they're trying to track and trace and they're trying to send out and it's like a wild goose chase to them. People are confused with it. The unsearchable of Christ means you can start as it were like a bloodhound and you can start every moment and every hour of every day You can seek out one thing and then seek out another. To find yet another and then something else again. Over and over and over again. You'll find that he is inexhaustible in the sense where he is eternal. But his riches are unsearchable. Not that you can't go searching. But that there are so much riches in Christ... The word for riches, by the way, is plutos. It means to have wealth of abundance. The idea is that he is our all and all. And that Christ is everything. That heaven surrounds him and encompasses him. That time and eternity depends upon him. That your salvation... From light to darkness or darkness you'll stay. Or to come into light depends on him. He is unsearchable. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, we could stay here for eternity. And talk about the things of the beautiful Christ. Talk about the things of the wonderful Christ. Talk about the things of the extravagant Christ. He who is extravagantly beautiful and wonderful and merciful and gracious and good. Friend, you need to know this Christ. You need to know him. If you don't know him, it's time you knew him tonight. I'm wrapping this up. Thank you for your attention tonight and for your attendance. Verse 9 into 10. Notice what Paul says And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the world, hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Here we're told there's a mystery hidden in God. The fellowship of that mystery. The reconciliation of God and Christ. Man can't know it. Save the spirit. Show it. And he goes on to say in verse 10. To the intent that now. Unto the principalities and powers. In heavenly places. Notice in heavenly places. There are principalities and powers. And there are wicked principalities and powers. Evil principalities and powers. Rulers of the darkness of this world. We're told about those things. They move upon wicked men. And they move upon wicked leaders. And even into wicked governments and so on. But here the principalities and powers are in the heavens. Notice what he says. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. You know what this is telling me? I want to read it to you. Again, I jotted it down in the flyleaf of my Bible. This is what it means: the church becomes a university. For the angels in heaven. I want to say it again. The church becomes. A university. For the angels in heaven. And every saint on the earth. Is a professor. Unto those angels. How can this be? What does it mean? Well first Peter. If you'll turn with me. As a closing. Scripture. First Peter please. Chapter one. Just let me get it. First Peter, chapter one and verse twelve. Notice what Peter says: "Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things." which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. Notice this. With the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Which things the angels desire to look into. Let me give it to you in a personal note from me. When the angels in heaven saw the Prince of Glory hanging on a cross, they couldn't understand it was for a man like me. They couldn't understand why the Holy One would give His life for someone like me. They couldn't comprehend it. You see, the angels which left their first estate which sinned in heaven were cast out and now are reserved into darkness will never have another chance again. And they will stand and be cast into a lake of fire. They'll never have a second chance. But the sons of Adam, the daughters of Adam, that's you and that's me, we have this chance when the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, speaks to a man and quickens a woman and shows them their need of Christ. Without that, they cannot be saved. And the angels in heaven are looking at this great redemption, are looking into this great salvation, and they cannot understand it. I can't comprehend it. Why would the Holy One of God come and die for a wretch like me? Why would he love me and give himself for me? For you, my friend. Why would he do it? In the tabernacle, in the wilderness, And then in the temple in Jerusalem, there was that golden box, the Ark of the Covenant. And there was the golden lid upon the top of it. And there upon the top of that golden lid, which was the mercy seat were the two cherubim facing each other, wing, touching wing this way and that way. And there, as it were, they are looking downward toward mercy, toward the Ark of the Covenant. There they're looking into that which was to speak of. The coming Christ. The mercy seat. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called the propitiation. Christ is our propitiation. Christ is where we find mercy. And the angels of God like the cherubim on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, are looking in. As Peter says, they're looking at it to try to find it out and understand it. Why, oh, why would the Father send His Son to die on the cross, the Roman gibbet? Why would He send Him to die for a vile wretch like me You see, the angels can't preach the gospel, friend. Angels cannot preach the gospel because the angels don't know the joy that this salvation brings. Oh, friend, tonight, if God is speaking to you, will you realize there's nothing you can do but call in the name of the Lord and be saved? That all has been done for you. That his blood was shed for you. Paid your debt for you. And as the old hymn said, he went to the grave and rose again. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified. Freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Will you come to Christ tonight? Will you come to Christ tonight? Will you give your life to the Savior if you don't know him tonight? Will you come to the one who died for you? Brother or sister, will you be encouraged tonight? Will you be encouraged in your faith tonight? And will you serve him with a whole heart from tonight? And may God help you to do so for Jesus' name's sake. May God bless you.